0: This is SB Nation Radio. The next generation of sports radio. Kelly's going to run right. He hits to the goal line. Does he break the plane? He does! Touchdown! This is College Football Game Day.
1: Leppers is in the shotgun. He takes the snap. He runs to the left. It's a sweep. He's to the
0: four to the three. He's in. Touchdown, Michigan. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi.
2: We are roaring into week number 10 of the college football season with a marquee SEC battle. Number one, Alabama. Heads into a Tigers den to face the number 13th ranked LSU Tigers. Doesn't get better than this. Rockin' Rich Sermonello. The stage is
3: set for a classic battle later tonight in Baton Rouge. You know, so many reasons to watch this game. If you're a college football fan, if you're an NFL fan, if you like to look at the kids of tomorrow, this is a perfect setting. The, the Both sides of the ball just littered with next-level talent, Joe, as you know. But in terms of what we talk about, just a huge game in terms of the playoff race, important for the SEC West, dying to see what coach uh, Ed Orgeron could do against Nick Saban. So that is the marquee matchup, but obviously tons of good football uh, prior to that prime timer. This
2: game represents everything we love about college football, the physicality, the tradition, the setting. Baton Rouge, mm. Death Valley, 8 o'clock tonight. I mean, if you want to see blue-collar football, offense and defense line play, this is the game to tune into later tonight, 8 p.m., because I'm telling you, Rich, they will bring, Bring their lunch pails and buckle up because hard hits are on the way
3: later tonight. Yeah, if if you've descended from a different planet this morning and you're wondering (laughs) what all of the hysteria here is on planet Earth about college football, this is the game. This is the microcosm as to why uh, those of us who love this sport love to watch these games. You talk about the physicality. I'm just dying to see Leonard Fournette, who a couple of weeks ago— just completely ambushed the Ole Miss defense, the Leonard Fournette that we expected to see all season. Now he tries to get redemption for last year's 19-carry, 31-yard game against this Alabama defense, so no shortage of storylines, Joe. I I think we'll just sort of, we've got a great undercard leading up to that, but boy, tonight at 8 o'clock, it'll be fantastic.
2: Well, we have a great show planned for you today with three great guests on top. It starts at 10.30 a.m. Eastern time with former LSU Tiger and BCS MVP from the 2003 season against Oklahoma, Justin Vinson joining us. We'll get Justin's take about what the LSU Tigers have to do on the offense and defensive sides of the ball to pull out the upset against the top-ranked Alabama Crimson Tide. 11 o'clock Eastern time, will be joined by our SEC insider, former Georgia Bulldog wide receiver Corey Allen. We'll get Corey's take about the other marquee battle in the SEC later today between Florida and Arkansas. And then, Rich, 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Whenever you can get a Super Bowl champ on, we have to get him on. But we have a three-time Super Bowl champion coming on, former Nebraska Cornhusker running back and San Francisco running back. Roger Craig will join us. We'll get Roger's take about Nebraska's game later tonight in the horseshoe against Ohio State. Can they pull off the upset? Some games last night of note, uh, Temple pulling off the 21-0, Zip victory over UConn on the road. A solid road victory by the Owls. They move on with a solid road victory. San Jose State losing to Boise State, 45-31. to Boise State not the same team that they were a year ago, and they're starting to struggle now, especially at home with two lackluster victories against San Jose State last night and two weeks ago against Colorado State. Can they pick it up in the stretch run? We'll see. And then some games Thursday night that I want to bring up. Oklahoma Third. 34-24 to 24 over Iowa State. And Colorado, the great job that Mike McIntyre has done with a 20-10 to 10 victory over UCLA in Boulder, dominating physical defensive effort by the Buffaloes. They move on to 7-2 and two on the year, and this is a team you have to keep an eye out for in the Pac-12 as they make their run to a division title. Rich, the rankings came out this week. Uh, a bit of a surprise to some, not to me, obviously, because if you've been following <laughs> me all year, Uh, You know I've been on Texas A&M from the start of the year, but in case people don't know, the top four came out on Monday night. Alabama's number one, Clemson number two, Michigan at three, and Texas A&M sneaking ahead of Washington at number four. I don't have a problem with it. How do you view it? Because I understand some fans are upset on the West Coast.
3: Yeah, when the rankings came out, I was I was sitting here and I said, uh, "How did Lisi work his way into that committee meeting?" I was I was it was staggering. I'm like, "My God, that guy's impressive." No, I I, I was not. I, I was a little bit surprised, but I'm not disappointed. And here's the reason why. I want a committee that is willing to look beyond just the simplicity of record. I think back in the old days, that's what we would have done. Well, Washington is is undefeated. They automatically get that uh, number 4 spot. But the committee is saying, listen, we're going to take a look at every granular detail, including strength of schedule. And and that's what they did. Texas A&M has better wins than Washington right now. I think at the end of the day, everybody needs to settle down. Because if the Huskies run the table, Joe, and they win the Pac-12, I don't think there's any shot that they're outside of the top four. Right now, they're going to make them earn it. They're going to have to beat USC. They're going to have to beat Wazoo. They're going to have to win that Pac-12 title game. If they do that, they're fine, but obviously less margin for error than they would other one-loss teams that exist around the country. I agree with you.
2: Again, conference championships have been stated by the, the playoff committee mm-hmm. that they hold weight. So that's the one reason why Baylor and Oklahoma a few years ago, Baylor and TCU struggled because yeah. they didn't have a conference championship. But Washington does. so, And they still have to play uh, USC and they still have to play Washington State, who's a hot team 5-0 and for the first time yeah. since 2002 when they had a quarterback by the name of Jason Gesser there. So so this is a, a schedule that'll play out for Washington. I, I think when you look at the top, and I'll, I'll go through the top seven teams it's Bama, Clemson, Michigan, AM, Washington, Ohio State, and Louisville. But when you look at those seven teams overall, down the stretch, which is the one that, that you say is on upset alert? Because I have a couple, and I know you might throw in A&M, obviously, but outside of AM, for me, I say Ohio State's on upset yep. alert
3: later tonight. I, I totally agree. I, I just haven't been impressed by the Buckeyes. I recognize the pure talent that they have on both sides of the ball, but at this stage of the season, you look at last week's game against Northwestern, feisty, good Northwestern team, but the way Ohio State has struggled to put it together. I would expect, what I expected in the offseason, Joe, was young team, uh, maybe a little bit of struggles in September, but by October and November, they would be on the tarmac and heading north. Haven't seen that from Urban Meyer's team, so I'm concerned, and I know we're not talking Vegas just yet, but boy, that line against Nebraska is extraordinarily high. That surprises me. Now, if they could win by 16, 17-plus, then maybe Ohio State is heading in the right direction. But right now, I think they're flatlining. Yeah, I agree with you, too. And, and you
2: brought up the point about heading north. They had three starters on offense and three starters on defense. And you're absolutely right in terms of continuity. Usually when you have new wide receivers, mm-hmm. they lost their top three wide receivers. The early part of the season in the offense and defensive line play isn't as cohesive as it is later in the year. And you can look at the pedigree from and resume of Urban Meyer over the last few years at the end of the year his teams are peaking especially in 2014 you look at the last three games now against Northwestern Penn State and Wisconsin yes solid teams but again not elite teams not top five teams although some might argue Wisconsin's in that mix they're not elite teams, just solid teams in the Big Ten. And Ohio State is struggling on both the offense and defensive line. So I agree with you. We'll break that game down though later tonight. It is a seven thirty start in the horseshoe and Tommy Armstrong, a dynamic quarterback. The one thing I want to bring up about Louisville, though, is you know you can't be you can't be upset if you're a Cardinals fan. I'm sorry because you struggled against Duke. You struggled last week, almost lost that ball game in Charlottesville against Virginia, and now the way Houston's played down the stretch, they don't have the resume. And yeah. even though they blew out Florida State, you see where Florida State's resume is at five and three overall, and in a big road game in Raleigh tonight, they can lose that game.
3: Yeah, no, you bring up a very good point. Florida State isn't what we expected Florida State to be. Jimbo Fisher, I think, has done a poor job in the past season and a half going back up to 2015 through this season. Here's the problem, too, for Louisville. You mentioned they have, they have really nothing to gain in the month of November. They're also a victim of timing at this point. Had they blown out Florida State a week or two ago, I think it might have had more impact. The fact that it happens so early in the season, I think as the, as the year progresses, other teams are going to make statements in November. Louisville won't have that opportunity. I think it's a long shot that they have an opportunity to get into the mix uh, for the Final Four.
2: And even Washington, when you look at Washington overall, you could say you see what Stanford has done this year. So that's another yeah. thing to keep in mind. We do have an 11:30 game today. and We're going to get right into it when we come back from break. Notre Dame and Navy. Notre Dame has won the last five by 23 points per game. We're just getting started. We'll take a quick break. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network from New York City. Stay with us. Back on the college football game day fantasy sports radio network. Rich Sermonello, there's some 12 o'clock games. We'll get into Louisville and Boston College, and we have Rutgers and Indiana. Two big games starting at 12 o'clock. We'll start with Indiana and Rutgers. Indiana with a solid victory last week over Maryland. They now go on the road to Piscataway. This game was 55 to 52 last year. Leonte Carew broke out. I have a feeling this game is going to be a lot closer than people think. I look for Rutgers to be in this ball game from start to finish. They're only giving up 168. Passes per game.
3: Yeah, they have two young corners who have been terrific this year. I I I think it's obviously been a tough season for Chris Ash. But if you look ahead to the future, Joe, uh, Chris is using a lot of underclassmen, the corners. Uh, you got a left tackle, Tariq Cole, who's playing very well. So I, I think they'll begin to build for 2017. But when we get to November, when I evaluate games, I oftentimes look at motivation. I think intangibles are such a key factor. For Kevin Wilson and in Indiana, uh, they obviously want to get back to the postseason. Four and four right now, need two wins in their final four games. This is Clearly the most winnable game left on the schedule. You got Purdue at the end big game for indiana i do think it'll be closer than expected i expect the hoosiers to win though
2: yeah i do too i agree with you this they're laying 12 and points on the road in piscataway but i do think this is a seven point game either way i i look for Rutgers to be in this game this is a game that they feel they can win even though i agree that indiana is the better team and i think kevin wilson's done a fantastic job he's got big players on that offense divine redding ricky jones jr and legow uh Again, I, I think Indiana will win this game or but I do think Rutgers
3: will be in it from start to finish. Let's talk about again. Uh, yeah. No, I was gonna say that would be a sign of progress. When you're evaluating Rutgers right now, it's all about sort of uh building a tailwind for next season there are a handful of programs that are out of the bowl mix right now you want to take a look do they have momentum going into 2017 or not louisville and boston college
2: i mean louisville disappointing last week last week against virginia but boston college played very well on homecoming getting the upset over nc state now was nc state looking ahead to their game this week against florida state I like Boston College to run the football and keep this game a lot closer than people think. They did
3: sack Lamar Jackson last year seven times. Yeah, who called the Boston College win last week? That was Joe Lisi. It was a great call. (laughs) No, I was not with you on that, but you nailed it. I was very impressed by that call. Uh listen, I, I I think Louisville we we've learned their identity this year, Joe. It, you know, is it the good Louisville or is it the bad Louisville? And and it's week to week. We don't know what to expect. They heard their critics last week, they're not happy, their numbers. Hold seven. that thought,
2: I- Richie. We'll come back, we'll get it we'll get this on the back end, we'll take a quick break. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, Fantasy Sports Radio Network.
0: You're listening to College Football Game Day on S B Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe
2: Lisi. Back on College Football Game Day, live from the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, right here in New York City. Before we get into Navy and Notre Dame, if you want to talk college football with us, give us a call, 844 843 6879. That's 844 843 6879. You could tweet me at Go for the two, that's the number two. You could uh, tweet Rich at Rich Cermonello, that's C-I-R-M-I-N-I-E-L-L-O. Rich, a big game here, Navy and Notre Dame. Who would think that Navy is the better team in terms of record entering this battle in Jacksonville? Five and three, while Notre Dame three and five overall and have to win three of the next four just to become bowl eligible.
3: Yeah, and I wonder why well, you know if these Irish players are really excited about, you know, getting to six and six and playing in a middling bowl game. I, I, I know these types of kids. They they always go into a season thinking ten wins, major bowl game, an opportunity to play in a secondary bowl game. I'm not sure if that's much motivation. Now, Navy has had problems on defense. You look at their last game against South Florida, allowing fifty-two points, completely gashed on the ground. That's my concern this morning how well Navy plays against the Sean Kaiser that stable of Notre Dame back. So I like the Irish in the game. I hate the venue. Notre Dame Navy should not be played in Jacksonville, Florida. That's just kind of a pet peeve of mine. But I expect – Navy's got more uh, at stake. They have more motivation. I think ND wins, though.
2: Great points. Why is the game being played at 1130 in the morning is my question. I'm not sure about that one. They want to separate themselves? Is it them in Dublin?
3: That's it's, it's, it's like one of those dublin I, Ireland games. I, I, I don't understand. Yeah, yeah, Me neither.
2: I just know that in, uh, Notre Dame has won six straight, but the last five have been won by 23 points per game. I yeah. agree with what you said about Notre Dame overall. Where's their mindset going to be? Oh, if this was a top-ten team at, at the start of the year that had a dynamic Dual threat quarterback system with Deshaun Kaiser and Malik Zaire. And it's been the defensive side of the ball that's really given way. They're negative in turnover margin. This was a team last year that could not shut down the run effectively in their three losses. And they're having issues this year. They're giving up 160 rushing yards on the ground. Navy still can run the football, and the triple option always gives you problems. They're rushing Mm -hmm. for 296 on the ground. I like Navy, even though they got blown out early on against South Florida, Quentin Flowers, Marlon Mack. They opened up a 24-point lead, but they fought back to make that game seven points. I just feel like this is their bowl game here. This is Navy's bowl game against Notre Dame. And does Brian Kelly really have this team at this point?
3: You know, I, listen, your, your assessment would not shock me in the least. I mean, I'm not all over Notre Dame. I just think the talent will rise mm-hmm. to the top. Does he have the team at this point? I doubt it. I, I think he's probably having a hard time motivating these kids, especially the ones that are uh, contemplating the NFL, someone like a Quentin Nelson on the offensive line. Uh, does he have them motivate in November? Probably not, but he needs to for his own job security. I think that's the X factor here is that I think, a, I, I think he's back in 2017 if he wants to, Joe, but he certainly can help dial down the... Pressure a little bit if his team finishes strong that
2: 's an interesting battle i don 't even know if he 's motivated at this point because he doesn 't seem it exactly yeah, it doesn 't does yeah no, not at all so we 'll see how it plays out we 'll give you a couple of play by plays once that game starts in about an hour. Keep in mind navy Notre dame eleven thirty start on uh, in Jacksonville a little bit later today we 'll turn our attention to another solid battle it 's a big twelve battle uh, Oklahoma State and Kansas State in Manhattan. To me, Rich, Oklahoma State could possibly be at this point the best team in the Big 12. They got a break last week in Austin when Texas knocked off Baylor. They did lose to Baylor earlier in the year. But if Baylor loses to Oklahoma later in the year, the the stage is set for possibly Oklahoma State winning the conference.
3: Yeah, I, I, listen, Oklahoma State's trending in the right direction. Uh, there's no question about it. Big win last week, playing better defensively. Finally, Glenn Spencer, the defensive coordinator, has them heading in the right direction. We know about their offensive talent, Mason Rudolph, McCleskey, and James Washington. McCleskey's been huge because he's taken a lot of the heat off of James Washington on the outside. Uh, I still like Kansas State. You know, Kansas State and Manhattan this year has been Unbeatable. I think that trend continues today close, but I have a Kansas State 27, Oklahoma State 24. Yeah, we're bucking heads here because Kansas State's only averaging
2: 360 total yards per game, but you're right. If they can run the football first and they can put a score up and then take eight minutes off the clock, bleed it, and force Mason Rudolph and, like you mentioned, James Washington and McCleskey to be on the sidelines, they're going to have issues, but... Here's the thing I look at when I look at Oklahoma State. They're going to want to start fast. They have not played well in recent years in Manhattan. I look for this team to jump out. They had some early problems earlier in the year with that Cooper Rush in- game uh, at home that they shouldn't have lost in any way, shape, or form. That really culminated into that loss a carryover effect in Waco when they lost that ball game by 11 points to Baylor. But I just think they have way too much offense, and, and they're balanced for the most part. I mean, they're averaging 40 40- points per game. They're putting up 328 yards through the air, and they're still running for a buck 36. To me, I like the way they play on
3: defense as well. They're opportunistic and positive in turnover margin. Here's my final thought on it, Joe. Oklahoma State's given up 24 sacks. You look on the opposite side of the ball for Kansas State. Jordan Willis is an underhyped player. I think everybody on Kansas State tends to be underhyped, but Jordan Willis is one of the more underrated defensive linemen in the country. I think he'll give problems to that Oklahoma State offensive line, be in the face of Mason Rudolph, who is a far less effective quarterback, like every quarterback, I suppose, when he's feeling heat. So I think it'll be that front seven of Kansas State that wins the day in Manhattan. You think it's high-scoring? Because I, I think it'll be no. a high-scoring game. I'm calling for like 45-30. Wow. Yeah, I have a 27-24. Don't know what the under-over is, but I'm guessing that's probably going to be on the underside. I don't like Kansas State's offense. Nobody likes Kansas State's (laughs) offense led by Jesse Ertz. Uh, And with Oklahoma State playing better defensively, I think this game will be played in the 20s.
2: Well, I'll tell you what. Iowa State and Texas made Jesse Ertz look like Lamar Jackson the last few <laughs> weeks because he's been running all over the place and, yeah. and and that read option is really working for Bill Snyder and the Wildcats. We'll see how that game plays out a little bit later, 3.30 PM later today. We'll talk about another couple of ACC battles, twelve thirty starts. Pittsburgh on the road against Miami, a disappointing Mark Rick team that now has lost four games on the year. But here's the thing when I look at Pittsburgh, I mean they've lost. Close games, but they have one of the most, the one of the worst past secondaries in the country, giving up yeah. 312 yards per game. I look for Kaya
3: and the crew to bounce back at home later today. Well, let me ask you this question. You're a Georgia guy. Uh, you know, Mark Richt. Uh, you, you look at his last few quarterbacks, Joe. I've been very disappointed. You know, Mark Richt, he has this label as a quarterback guru, he's a quarterback mentor, a quarterback whisperer. But you look at his last couple of teams at Georgia, and now Kaya, who has regretted. This year, I think Rip, uh, Rick's, Rick's reputation is on the line this season and beyond because Kaya has regressed. So I'm concerned. Pittsburgh's defense is a sieve. I get that. But Miami and Kaya have not performed as I expected in the second half of the year. Well, here's the thing when he
2: was at Georgia. I mean, since Aaron Murray left, they really haven't had a quarterback that really stepped up and really took over the reins. I mean, and that's been the issue. They they dealt with a 50-year senior in Hudson Mason. They then had Grayson Lambert last year, didn't step up the UVA transfer. And now they have the true freshman that he got there with Mike Bobo, uh, Jacob Eason. So, uh, again, he's not going to have an opportunity to call. Cultivate that talent, but he needs a running game in order to be effective. That's what he had with Todd Gurley and uh, Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle. and this running game is not dominant. We'll take a quick break, though, Rich, and we'll break this game down. When we come back, we'll be joined by 2003 BCS Bowl MVP from the LSU Tigers, Justin Vincent. We're just getting started. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from New York, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Keep it where it is back on college football game day when rich and i left off we were talking louisville and lamar jackson on the road in chestnut hill to face the bc eagles rich you were talking about louisville i just brought up the fact that boston college played very well last year losing 17 to 14 in
3: louisville against the cardinals Well, listen, here's the identity of Boston College. As you know, Joe, they tend to be a little bit slower than the rest of the ACC, uh, a little bit bigger, more physical. I think that physicality doesn't work against the speed of Louisville, kind of an oil and vinegar type of a game. Boston College just doesn't have the ability to stretch the field against that Louisville defense. They do nice defensive team. I've always been fond of sort of the roll up the sleeves mentality of Boston College and that defense. Don Brown in the past now with Steve Adazio. I don't think that matches up well against the speed of Louisville. So I, I, I think the Cardinals coast, they make a statement when they need to after the rough game against Virginia See, this
2: do. game intrigues me because it is such a contrast. Because Boston College cannot win a high-scoring game in any way, shape, or mm-hmm. form. You know that they, they can't match Lamar Jackson score for score. So it's going to be, can BC take time off the clock and run the football with John Hilliman? Can Patrick Tolls make some third-down conversions? I mean, secondary-wise, they're giving up 200 yards per game. But they're so solid in run support. They're they're only giving up 93 rushing yards on the ground. And they have one of the best sack totals in college football, 25 total sacks. The problem is, is that their leading receiver is Jeff Smith, a former quarterback.
3: So that's been the problem for this team. And listen, I really do like the personality of this team. They're always dangerous. The the Matt Milano's, the Connor Strahan. These these are kinds of players that are uh, quintessential Boston College, Joe. But again, when you put Lamar Jackson opposite of them, very difficult for those types of players to contain an explosive quarterback uh, like him.
2: I think that Louisville wins this game, but I think it's by like 17 points. I don't think they put up a statement. I say 34-17. I just don't see this game getting up uh, as a route 60 points or more, Steve Adazio
3: back next year? You think?
2: I think they. I think he is. I just think that yeah. you know, when you look at the, the the injuries that he had last year with Darius Wade and the team, I mean, expect expectations for this team can't be ten wins. He, yeah. It,
3: no, I I don't know if the university thinks they could do better or not. I'm not really sure. We know we know what the expectations are. I'm not sure if the AD is happy with their performance. So It'll be interesting.
2: And, and that's been the problem, and I'll say this before we go to break. That's the problem with some of these institutions in college football, that the win-now mentality. Sometimes you have to realize you're not the Louisvilles or Clemson. So we'll keep, take a quick break. Stay with us. Joe Lisi, Ritz Cermonello, live from New York.
0: You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich
2: Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Alabama LSU doesn't get better than this. What better way to break this game down than with a former standout at LSU. He's live on the Progressive Celebrity Hotline. I want to welcome in former LSU Tiger running back and 2003 BCS Bowl MVP, Justin Vincent. Justin, how are you today? I'm great. How are you? Doing well. One of my favorite running backs all time in LSU Tiger history. Justin, you played in this series for four years. Tell the fans what it represents. Alabama, LSU, SEC showdown. What it means to be a player in this battle.
4: You know, it means a lot. Um, Guys take pride in this. You know, for me personally, not to throw any shade at Alabama, I never lost to Alabama. But you know, obviously, the tide has changed, and they're doing a lot of great things. Coach Saban is taking them to new heights. Um, but in the recent years, this game has become a pivotal turning point in each of these two teams' uh, season. You know, normally, whoever wins this game is going to the SEC championship. Obviously, we got a little more work to do than they do. But at the end of the day, I think if we take care of business, we have an opportunity to put ourselves in position to be uh, everything that we want to be.
3: Justin Rich Sermonello, uh, Coach O, what buttons has he been able to push over the past few weeks that Coach Miles wasn't back in September?
4: You know, it necessarily wasn't something that you know either one did better than the other. Um, I think you know, uh, you know, being around football majority of my life, um, I think that every coach is kind of uh, five o'clock shadow of the guy who coached him or the guy who who who, who mentored him or whatever. Um, you know, Coach Miles is a Bo guy. uh guy. Um, they like to do things their way. They was not really worried about too much anything else. Um, but Coach O, he's more of a modern-day kind of guy. You know, get some of his stuff from Pete Carroll and whatnot. And, uh, you know, keeping keeping the guys on their toes, giving them a little rest every now and then. Um, just, just that breath of fresh air sometimes. I mean, you hate to see anybody get fired. And I have the utmost respect for Coach Miles. I played two years for him, and he gave me an opportunity to work for him for five years. And I just think that the team just responded differently. It wasn't like Coach O was some foreign object and came out of nowhere. He's a Louisiana guy. He talks with that hardcore down south accent. Guys get him. Um, He's been all over the country recruiting most of the guys on our team anyway. So I think they kind of just – fell into place perfectly for everybody in the building.
2: Justin, when you look at this matchup overall, now Eddie Jackson, the top uh, safety for Alabama out of this matchup, how important is it for Danny Etling to attack that secondary on running downs, like first and second down on play-action passes early in this game, not only to build his confidence, but to open up running lanes for Darius Geis and Leonard Fournette later in that matchup?
4: You know, I think that they need to keep these guys on their toes, keep them honest. You know, beforehand, any other team that lined up against LSU in the last couple of years, they put 11 men in the box and said, I dare you to throw the ball. Now we have that that, that threat of doing things um, kind of unconventional of LSU uh, since way back when. So, you know, with Eddie Jackson being out, being that quarterback in the secondary for those guys and being a total return guy, which, you know, they always say in return game, you know, if you average – ten yards, that's a first down, but he's averaging like two first downs, he was averaging like twenty two point two yards a return. And I think he's just he's just something that's a key point for them. But I think if a Danny reads his progression, the O line gives him enough time, I think that we will show the world that LSU can play physical style of football can actually throw the football.
3: Justin, the one player more than anybody else that I'm I'm just riveted by is Leonard Fournette. You look at last year's game, you look at his last game a couple of weeks ago I mean, channel him for a moment as a former running back. What do you think's going through his mind? What do you expect from him this evening?
4: Redemption. Redemption Saturday. You know, there was, um, you know, there wasn't much talk of before the game last year what they thought they were going to do to Leonard Fournette and this and that and another. But after the game, they basically said everything you thought they would say. He wasn't good enough. Uh, he isn't what everybody thought he was um blah 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 and, and so on and so forth and I think as a player no matter what level you're at no matter what sport you in, that's fuel to the fire you know they kind of you know put a brick wall up for his Heisman hopes last year and I know that Leonard's a more team-oriented guy and Heisman would have came you know so be it but I think that this is something for him is more personal um he wants to do it for the team he's a he's an outstanding leader and a captain for this team and people look up to him um, he led a players only meeting the other day and, and, and guys, when he talks, they gaze at him. I mean, they kind of look in awe because Leonard at first wasn't really a big talker. Um, and now he's kind of taking that leadership role and running with. It. And I think that, you know, for this team and for him, I think that it's a little bit more personal than, than, than a lot of other uh, games uh, in the past.
2: Justin, when you think about Baton Rouge and physicality, that's the one thing that stands out for me. I mean, I could go back to that 2005 victory on the road in Tuscaloosa where you had the big game and pulled that victory out 16-13, to 13, but talk to me about what it is at night in Baton Rouge that makes the LSU Tigers almost invincible.
4: You know, I tell people this all the time. I got a bunch of buddies that played SC, Penn State, Miami. If you think you love college football and you are just a college football fan you got to come to a game in Death Valley it is something kind of unparalleled to anything I've ever been a part of um, you know I was fortunate enough to be a part of a super Bowl winning team in Pittsburgh nothing compares to Saturday night in Death Valley these fans is like a sanctuary to them they take it religiously um, the atmosphere the you know I, I'm, I haven't been I haven't played in Death Valley since 2006 and every time they run out, the hair stands up on the back of my neck, and I feel like banging my head against a wall. It just means so much to the people down there, and just the atmosphere and those fans. And they, you know, for once, in at in 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 least the last four or five years, everybody's really optimistic about this game. They like, you know, you know, we have an actual chance of doing great things. You know, we're not one so much one-dimensional anymore. We're a threat to them. You know, and I think they know that, too. There's not a lot of film on us for them to look at, you know, because last year they could have went and looked at the last 11 years of film and say, you know, LSU does the same stuff. So I think it it gives us a little more edge, and I think the atmosphere in Tiger Stadium is just something that's unparalleled to anything that I've ever experienced in my life.
3: Justin, you have me so pumped up, I want (laughs) to bang Joe Lisi's head against the (laughs) wall right now. Um but uh, talking about that atmosphere, sort of dovetailing off of that, I mean, do you expect that to rattle Jalen Hurts, the Alabama quarterback, rookie, been so good in his first season, but obviously this is a unique environment?
4: You know, I would think so. Um, you know, I hope so. Um, I think uh, w- when the lights are on and those bullets are hot and things are flying at you and, and uh, you got to make decisions, I think if we actually make that guy play quarterback and not, you know, uh, win with his legs, which he's done in every single game this year, um, he runs the ball very well. We can contain him and make him stand in the pocket. It's not that he's a bad thrower. It's just that our secondary is good enough to make him make mistakes, and we disguise a lot of things. And I think that that kid with the bright lights in that stadium and as pumped up as it is, I know he's probably played, you know, in some 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 amazing high school games. I know Tuscaloosa's probably been pumped up for him a couple of years. I mean, especially I mean, last last week against A and M, a week before last against A and M. But this is a totally different monster. Um, these people on top of you, screaming every time they, they get a chance. Um, they're probably going to be yelling at him when he gets off the bus. You know? So he's going to get the full dose of what it means to play in Tiger Stadium tonight.
2: Justin, I know later in your career when Les Miles was there as your head coach, you took on the role of special team standout. How important is it tonight for the special teams of LSU to step up and possibly be a factor in tonight's ball game and outcome?
4: You know, special teams is always a pivotal point in anybody's football game. I think with LSU, um, we have guys who actually love to play special teams and enjoy the opportunity to get the rundown on their kickoff and enjoy the opportunity to get the block for Jadavious White. I think if we go down there and do what we're supposed to do, read our keys and don't look at shadows and stay you know, in your lanes, keep lane, lane integrity, and, and don't look at false, at false uh, hopes and stuff, I think that we'll be fine. We'll contain that. You know, I'm not as much worried about them on special teams as I was when Eddie Jackson was back there. But they do have a, a, a nice uh, replacement. But I think if we do what we're supposed to do, and you know, put our put our team in great field position and give our defense the opportunity to get us off the field and get our offense backed up there, I think we'll have a, a, a great opportunity to be successful in this ball game.
2: Justin, love the information you got me amped up for tonight's game. We'd love to have you on a little bit later in the year as LSU makes its SEC title run. We hope you enjoyed it today.
4: Thank you so much. You too.
2: That was former LSU standout running back and BCS MVP Justin Vincent giving us his take about what this matchup signifies. Unbelievable information. When Rich and I come back, we'll get back into the top 25 battles. We're just getting started. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll break down all the big battles in the Big Ten and Pac-12. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Back on the College Football Game Day Show here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Rich, we left off with Miami and Pittsburgh. I think Miami wins a high-scoring game, and I think they attacked the secondary. Let's get back to what you were saying about Pittsburgh in this matchup.
3: Yeah, I, I'll agree with you. I think it's time for Miami to bounce back. I think they see the the, the possibility of a bowl eligibility slipping away. It, it, the season hasn't gone as planned over the past two or three weeks, Joe. But again, this is one of those young football teams, uh, almost entirely uh, uh, true freshman linebackers that are starting for Mark Richt and I expect them to get better as the season goes on. You talked uh, very wisely about the Pitt secondary. That could help Brad Kaya finally get back on track. So I think Miami against that Pitt defense, which has been surprisingly porous for Pat Narduzzi, I I think they finally break through with a much-needed win.
2: I'm not sure what it is when defensive coordinators become head coaches. Bob Stoops, it took him a while, but his defense is atrocious. Bo Pelini's defense in Nebraska wound up being one of the worst defenses. And now Pat Narduzzi after a solid first Charlie year. Uh, ex- I have Texas? no idea yeah. what it is. I, I feel like maybe they overcompensate on the offensive yeah. side of the ball and do not pay enough attention to the defensive side of the ball. That's the only thing I could think of because they're solid defensive coordinators, and once they become head coaches, everything goes out the window.
3: Yeah, that's a really good point. And it's possible that they don't have that hands-on type of uh, attention that they normally would as a coordinator. Now that they're, they're the chief executive and they're handling the media, they're pulled away from the defense. Uh, but still, they should be able to hire the right staff, the right coordinator of their own. And a lot of these guys just haven't gotten it done.
2: Here's an upset special, I think. Georgia Tech on the road in Chapel Hill later today. It's a contrast in styles. Still don't like North Carolina's rush defense that's given up 200 yards on the ground.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's obviously going to be a concern against Paul Johnson's triple option. I'm just not a a huge fan of Georgia Tech. Back-to-back wins, uh, impressive, but I think Johnson is on the hot seat right now. Don't love the defensive talent of the Yellow Jackets. That's going to be a problem against the Carolina offense. So I think the Tar Heels roll and remain in contention in the Coastal Division.
2: And they have a solid offense. I mean, Mitch Mitch Trubisky could possibly be one of the most underrated quarterbacks in college football and one of the most lethal wide receiver cores in the nation, bug howard uh, austin Prol, ryan switzer i mean the list goes on and on he has weapons and elijah hood at the running back position when we come back we'll break down the rest of the games in the big Tw- uh, big 10 big 12 acc this is joe lisi ritzer and manello live from new york fantasy sports radio network keep it where it is you're listening
0: to college football game day on sb nation radio Here are your hosts,
2: Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on College Football Game Day, we're going to really jump into the top 25 battles. Rich, let's get right into it. Nebraska and Ohio State later tonight, intriguing Big Ten battle. When I look at this Ohio State team, the one statistic that I did that stood out to me, prior to that game against Wisconsin, the offense with JT Barrett was rushing for 323 yards per game. After their last three games against Wisconsin, Penn State, Northwestern, the offense only averaging a buck 87 on the ground. You look at the flip side, Nebraska allowing 136 rushing yards per game. They're giving up 33% conversions on third down. Solid statistic. They're plus five in turnover margin. But I really think the X factor is Tommy Armstrong. And I'll tell you why. Upset City, baby. Thirty-three to thirty, Nebraska over Ohio State later tonight in the Horseshoe.
3: Boy, I tell you, I I, I like. <laughs> he shocked me on that one, man. I I, I expect Nebraska to cover. I, I think it's far too many points. And and you bring up some very salient points about the Ohio State offense. They struggled even as far back as the Indiana game. They took a while to get going, which for me is a complete surprise when you look at the skill position talent, the veteran quarterback, and so on. Nebraska, I don't think, wins in Columbus. I do think they compete. I'm not a Tommy Armstrong fan. I think he'll struggle badly against that Ohio State secondary. You look at Malik Hooker, Marshawn Lattimore. He he has a Jordan Westerkamp who's a a bit of a ham and egger. I don't mean that necessarily in a disparaging way, but he's not going to stretch the defense. I think they'll have a problem scoring. I think Ohio State will too. So Joe, I have a, a Buckeyes 28, Huskers 21. Competitive. I can't see the upset. Well, Here's my reason now. Now I'm going to tell you the reason. Ohio State, with Luke
2: Fickle and Shiano, love to blitz off the edge. They did it against Baker Mayfield in that game against Norman and play man-to-man coverage on the outside, right? They haven't faced a mobile quarterback like Tommy Armstrong all year long. Yeah, Baker Mayfield is a mobile quarterback, but he's not as athletic as Tommy Armstrong. When you play man-to-man coverage on the outside and blitz from the edge, if he breaks contain, you're going to have running lanes. And I don't think it's necessarily Tommy. Tommy Armstrong's arm that does the damage, I think it's his legs tonight. And that's the thing when I look at this matchup overall. If they can strike first on the road, I think their defense will keep him in it.
3: Here's my other concern, too. A very physical game last week, emotional game against uh, Wisconsin. Admittedly, they played better than I thought. I think it's a tough turnaround. I'm not saying they won't be motivated. Obviously, being in the horseshoe, uh, no extra motivation is needed, as you know, Joe. But I I think coming off that Wisconsin game in which they got beat up by T.J. Watt and that defense, I think it's going to be tough to bounce back and be as... In a sort of fresh as they would like to be at this stage of the season. So offensively, I do think they'll struggle against the Ohio State defense but I I think the storyline coming out of Columbus tonight though, Joe, is going to be another so-so humdrum effort out of OSU. Yeah, and again, is this
2: going to be a playoff team? People just expect it now because that's been the resume of Urban Meyer. So I think people are just under the assumption, yeah, Ohio State's going to be there with Michigan mm-hmm. by the end. They still have to play Michigan State, I understand there. Michigan yeah. State's still six straight losses. If they don't win on the road in Champaign today, it'll be seven straight. But it's still Michigan State. I mean, you can't take it lightly. It's, sometimes these kids just get
3: up for a game, and they played Michigan very tough last year in a rivalry game. No, that's a great point. And Michigan State... You know It's a little bit cliche, but at that stage, it's going to be their bowl game because it doesn't look like they'll be a part of the postseason, number one. And number two, D'Antonio has always played Ohio State tough, so I think that's a difficult landmine game. And oh, by the way, number three, that game against Michigan is the following week. So I I think going to East Lansing could be very difficult on the 19th. Michigan State's always been a thorn in Ohio
2: State's side. Mm -hmm. Look at 1998 with Nick Saban as head coach, 28-point underdog in the horseshoe. They struck the upset. So keep that in mind. Let's turn our attention to this game. Florida State and NC State, since 2011, Florida State's won four of the last five, and they've dominated the series, Rich, by 24 points per game. But I'm looking for the upset tonight. I really think in le- last week's loss to Boston College, Ryan Finley and the crew were looking ahead to this week. They bring their A game. And more importantly, what is Florida State playing for? No division title, no playoff. Yeah. And you saw this team last year in the Peach Bowl. They didn't get up for Houston. I think NC State pulls out the victory in a big way. Double digits, 10-point victory
3: over Florida State. I'll be damned if I could figure the Wolfpack out at this point. I mean, last week, obviously, I get on the bandwagon last week and they lay an egg against Boston College. I can't figure this team out. I like the individual talent. I really like Dave Doran's defensive line. Obviously, uh, Matt Days is a terrific running back. Ryan Finley has been a good insertion, the transfer from uh, from Boise State. It would not surprise me in the least for exactly what you said in that it's in Raleigh. I can't imagine Florida State is motivated at this point. I can't imagine even Dalvin Cook is motivated. So if the Pack won tonight, I would not be the least bit well, shocked.
2: Well, here's the thing statistically. Florida State hasn't lost back-to-back games since 2011 when they lost to Clemson and Wake Forest back in 2011. So keep that in mind. But, again, offensive line is an issue. Six sacks last yeah. week. Now, that was Clemson. But 27
3: sacks allowed on the year, and their starting guard is out for this ball game. This was supposed to be the veteran line that turned the corner after having so many new starters in 2015. You got Rod Johnson at left tackle, next level left, left tackle. Hasn't happened. So, again, Jimbo Fisher, I mean, listen, LSU, supposedly interested in bringing him over there, have not been impressed over the past couple of years.
2: Well, LSU, you wanted Tom Herman, he's lost two games. You wanted Jimbo Fisher, yeah. he's. Kiss his death. Right? And now, I heard st- I heard Stoops was involved in the mix. I don't know where where he possibly got out. At the best rate now, Ogeron is your best bet. If you're an LSU Tiger fan, you better hope he wins out. We'll break down the rest of these games on the backside of the break. When we come back, it'll be Corey Allen, our SEC insider, breaking down Florida, Arkansas, Alabama, LSU. This is Joe Lisi, Ritz Sermonello, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, live from the Big Apples. Keep it where it is. Back on the college football game day show right here on the fantasy sports radio network. We're going to go rapid fire. There's so many games. Rich, let's just jump right into it. Virginia Tech and Duke the last three games decided by six total points. Duke won last year 45 to 43 in Blacksburg. I'm riding the wave, even though Virginia Tech playing very well. I'll take the points with Duke in this battle.
3: You know, I'm going to go with the Hokies. Uh, Big win last week against Pittsburgh. Back-to-back victories. Coastal division now theirs if they can win out. So I'm going to go with Justin Fuente's team and uh, take Tackum.
2: Here's this, the erratic Purdue Boilermakers. One week you love them, the next week you hate them. If you followed them from the start of the year, every other week they play well. They played terrible on at home against per, uh, Penn State. I love the Nittany Lions last week. They got dominated. They put up 511 total yards on Purdue's defense, but now they go on the road to Minnesota. I think David Blau and the crew will keep Keep this game very close. Their secondary only allowing 199 passing yards per game. And Blau and the crew with D'Angelo Yancey passing for over 300.
3: Yeah, I'll take Minnesota six and two right now. I mean, yeah, you're not convincing me I'm Purdue any longer. It's just not going to happen, Joe. As hard as you try, I, I'm going to go with Minnesota. Tracy Clays has done a nice job. I know they haven't really they haven't beaten anybody this year, but at six and two, still on the periphery of the Big Ten West. Chance to get to seven and two this week, heading into the big game against Nebraska a week from now. So I'll take the Gophers.
2: Here's an intriguing battle. It's BYU and Cincinnati now. BYU. Uh, A very blue-collar team, and Cincinnati got dominated on the offense and defensive lines by a physical Temple team. And when I look at this matchup overall, Cincinnati's rush defense giving up 172 yards on the ground. BYU loves to pound the rock. They're rushing for 196 per game. I like the Cougars
3: to dominate this game. Completely agree. Have not been impressed by Cincinnati this year. I think Tommy Tuberville uh, is in trouble with the Bearcats. Uh, bad year for the coach. Uh, BYU is just a, a bare knuckles team on both sides of the ball. Jamal Williams, Taysom Hill on offense. A uh, lot of close games. I, I, I'm probably going to be a four or five-pointer, but I'll take <laughs> BYU as well. Well, BYU is laying a, a touchdown and a, and a
2: point, so around seven and a half, eight points. Do you like the Cougars with that With that?
3: Uh, listen, every game they play is decided by a by a point or two. So based on recent history, I'm, I guess I'm going to have to take Cincinnati in yeah. the point. Wow. Gunnar Keel. We'll see how that game plays out.
2: When we come back, Rich and I are going to touch on Michigan State, Illinois. We're going to touch on TCU Baylor, Vandy Auburn. Keep it where it is. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from the Big Apple Fantasy Sports Radio Network. College football is great. Nothing better. Stay with us. This is SB Nation Radio.
0: The next generation of sports radio.
2: Kelly's going to run right. He hits the goal line. Does he break the plane? He does! Touchdown!
0: This is College Football Game Day.
1: Rappers is in the shotgun. He takes the snap. He runs to the left. It's a sweep.
0: He's to the four, to the three. He's in touchdown, Michigan. Here are your hosts,
2: Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on College Football Game Day, we're going to even it out. We had former LSU Tiger running back Justin Vincent talking about the Tigers. Don't worry, Alabama fans. We have somebody that loves Alabama. He played for Georgia, though. We Live on the Progressive Celebrity Hotline. I want to welcome in our SEC insider, former Georgia Bulldog wide receiver Corey Allen. Corey, how are you today? We'll wait for Corey to get back on the line in a, in a couple of seconds. Rich, let's continue our breakdown of some of the big battles later today. Let's talk about this TCU Baylor game. TCU and Gary Patterson, a very disappointing season. I'm not sold on what Kenny Hill has done in the system. He's putting up numbers, but he really hasn't taken the strides in terms of a confident quarterback at certain key situations in ball games. And, and I'm not sold on Baylor, but I think Baylor pulls out a solid victory later today.
3: I agree. I mean, I, TCU has been one of my biggest disappointments in 2016. Not even sure if Kenny Hill's going to get the ball from Gary Patterson today. was replaced by Foster Sawyer a week ago. So inconsistent on offense, which was something that we grew a, to, to account for them in September. Defensively, they've struggled as well, Joe. So I, I don't know where they muster up the energy to get the win. I have it Baylor 37, TCU 24.
2: Yeah, I have Baylor winning by, by about 20 points. I think this game is about 50 to 30. I just think it's a shootout and Baylor wins this ball game convincingly especially at home we have our SEC insider live on the progressive celebrity hotline he loves Alabama we have to even it out we had Justin Vincent on before Corey Allen how are you today
1: I'm extremely excited Joe this couldn't be a better time the weather here in the southeastern conference is going to be beautiful everywhere And this is part two of how the West was won when you look at the SEC-Western Division matchup between Alabama and uh, LSU. I I think it's going to be a tough one. I think this is going to be a matchup that we really have to watch all four quarters because there's going to be some impact plays made, and they're going to help to dictate who comes out on top on this Saturday.
2: Corey, I want to stay on the defensive side of the ball first. A big loss for Alabama secondary starting safety, Eddie Jackson, the, the quarterback of that secondary, out for this matchup with a broken leg. How important of a factor is his loss or departure in tonight's battle? And more importantly, how does LSU attack that that absence of Eddie Jackson later tonight?
1: The loss of Eddie Jackson for Alabama is going to be huge in this game. Eddie Jackson has been a great player in run support for Alabama, but he's also one of the better perimeter players, one of the better defensive backs in the country when you look at defending the pass. So he's been a two-way dynamic player his entire career at Alabama, and when you lose a kid like that, a, a leader on your defense, a guy who makes plays consistently, that's hard to replace. And what LSU is going to have to do, they're going to have to find ways to impact the game using play action, and that backup safety, and at the same time, they're going to have to use that running game, because when you look at the fact that they've got Leonard Fournette really going on all cylinders right now, they've got Darius guys really ready to chomp at the bit and get his turn, uh, the, the run support for the Alabama defense is going to be important. The safeties won't be as impactful without Eddie Jackson. It's going to be a lot more pressure on that linebacking core, which brings play action into play with the tight end, so I think LSU is going to be dynamic on offense. I know Coach Ed Orgeron is really doing his best to motivate these young guys because this is a great opportunity because really when you look at what LSU's schedule brings them, uh, it's right in front of them. Everything is for the taking, and they have a chance to really dictate their own pace.
3: Hey, Corey, it's Rich. Um, what are your expectations for Danny Etling? We just talked about it for a couple of minutes, but uh, I, I think at the end of the day, obviously Alabama's going to stack the box to stop Geis and Fournette. It's going to come down to Danny Etling. Do you think he can deliver against that Alabama secondary?
1: Against the secondary, no. I think he's going to have to really find his, his wares in the short passing game. I think he's going to have to mitigate mistakes by making sure he can convert on third down. I think he's going to have to make sure he keeps LSU – in the perfect play against that Alabama defense, whatever it might be on any given down and distance. Danny Etling is really going to have to do a great job using his head to beat this Alabama team because most quarterbacks that have success against Alabama are the mobile type, and those guys usually run a read-option-spread type of offense. LSU is a pro-style offense, which is really going to give Alabama a chance to pack the box, and that's going to put a lot of pressure on the running game. Danny Etling is going to have to do a great job making sure LSU is in the correct play, making sure all the audibles have been set, making sure all of the, uh, the pass protections are addressed because Alabama will apply pressure. He'll have opportunities in the flats with the running backs. He'll have opportunities with his tight ends, but challenging those defensive backs is going to be a risk I don't think he should take early in the game because that's one that Alabama will be waiting on.
2: Corey, when you look at Alabama's offensive scheme under Lane Kiffin, what is it that Lane Kiffin does in terms of formations that allows Jalen Hurts to be so successful in, on the ground? Because we're used to Alabama pounding the football between the tackles, and they do that to much success with Damian Harris, but he only has one touchdown on the ground. Much of the, the success has come on the edge and the perimeter with Jalen Hurts this year.
1: Lane Kiffin has done a great job really using uh, formation and motion to help find mismatches for the offense to exploit, and that's been the greatest thing I've watched this year. If you ask me, Lane Kiffin really is probably going to be named coordinator of the year in my personal opinion, because with a freshman quarterback, what he's done is he's given De- excuse me, Jalen Hurts a chance to really learn the game on the run. He's really given him some great short reads to take advantage of, he doesn't allow uh, Jalen to go down the field unless it's a designed option where he needs to take that shot. So I think Lane Kiffin does a great job, a spectacular job, using motion to help dictate the coverage on the other side, whether it be man or zone. And he also does a great job attacking the edge by using different formations that the defense will have to adjust to. And it doesn't hurt when you've got great guys in your backfield like Scarborough and, and Harris. And even Jalen Hurts that can run the ball and be effective with the ball in their hands. So uh, Lane Kiffin has done a great job with the personnel that he has available, and he's also done a great job slow pacing that offense because week to week Alabama changes and they add different things, and that's what a championship caliber coach does.
3: You know, one of the skill guys we haven't talked about much this year because of you know Jalen Hurts getting so much attention. Corey is Calvin Ridley, the wide receiver of Alabama. I, I look at Calvin versus Tredavious White or Kevin Tolliver, depending on what side of the field he's on. Can you break down that matchup, which I know NFL scouts will be watching very closely?
1: Well, this will be an easy matchup to watch on the perimeter. It reminds me of the days when uh, Georgia played against LSU, and they had great receivers like Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham. Uh, this is going to be no different. Calvin Ridley, uh, Alabama Crimson Tide, an awesome threat down the field, but they also do a great job getting him the ball Uh, in his hands relatively quickly. In the matchup with the cornerbacks from LSU, he'll see a lot of one-on-one. So this will be an opportunity again for Lane Kiffin to create great opportunities for Calvin Ridley to go ahead and attack that secondary with these one-on-one matchups. He's got Jalen Hurts, who's not afraid to throw the ball. I foresee a lot of deep ball opportunities, especially in the second half, once that running game of Alabama has loosened up that uh, defense of LSU. So this will be an opportunity for Calvin Ridley to really – present himself to the NFL because this is a game where everyone will be watching, not just fans and not just other players in the conference, but also scouts, recruits, and coaches that might want to take these kids to the next level because the Alabama and LSU game is going to be probably the only game where you see uh, at least 25-star kids on both sides of the field. And this is really a testament to what the strength of the SEC brings. Calvin Ridley, just like his younger brother Riley, who's at the University of Georgia Bulldog, He's going to take advantage of the opportunity, and I see him going deep in the second half because early in the game, they like to use him on short routes, but they really send him deep late.
2: Corey, I think Alabama does a fantastic job of dictating tempo by their ability to score first. I know they have top five talent. They do have playmakers at every position. But I feel that Nick Saban and Lane Kiffin do a fabulous job of preaching to the team the ability to score first and put the pressure on opposing offenses to match them score for score. What is it about Alabama that gives them the opportunity to do this on a consistent basis week in and week out?
1: I'll tell you what, Joe, if you ask me, the 10-play script, every team practices that first 10 plays that they plan to run every game, and uh, Alabama does it better than everyone. Regardless of down and distance, those kids know what the first 10 plays are. You can tell by how they execute those plays, and you can tell by the aggressiveness in the game plan that this is something that they've discussed all week long. They don't allow you to dictate what plays they're going to run early, and that allows Alabama to influence you how to react to those same formations and those plays late. So when you look at early in the game, Joe, Alabama rolls down the field because of what they do during the week, Monday through Friday. They prepared well. They know exactly what their response is. Hold that thought, are. Corey. Hold that,
2: hold that thought. We'll go to break. We'll get Corey's take. <laughs> Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Keep it where it is. Back from the college football game day studio show right here in the fantasy sports radio network. Rich and I are going to break down some of these games right now. Air Force and Army commander and chief trophy on the line. Air Force has won three straight rich by 16 points per game. But I really like Army in this matchup because of their defense. They're giving up 16 points per game, only 106 rushing yards on the ground, and more importantly, only 163 passing yards to opposing offenses. Cadets win a very close game by 10 to 13 points.
3: Yeah, Coach Monken has done a remarkable job on the Hudson, Joe. we, We finally have all three service academies now competing for the postseason Army wins this game. They block Air Force from winning the Commander-in-Chief's Trophy. Uh, they'll have a shot, obviously, against Navy to wrap it up in a, in a month or so. They also become bowl-eligible I agree with you. Very impressed by how Army has gradually sort of turned things around this year.
2: And that road victory in Salem last week against Wake Forest, to me, was the turning point. Because yeah. Wake Forest, a solid defensive front seven. And they shut down Hinton and Wolford in that matchup offensively. And they really dictated the tempo in a low-scoring game. They won that battle 21-13. to
3: yeah, I, I, again, very impressed. It's old-school football. Keep it on the ground. Play solid defense. That's what Army's going to have to do to continue to win. I totally agree with you. That was a pivot game uh, on the road at Wake Forest. Good Wake Forest team. Wake Forest team that might bowl. Huge game. One of the biggest games that we've seen on the Hudson in a long time for Army t- uh, this afternoon. Well, let's Ticket to Wake Forest in Virginia
2: because I really like the Demon Deacons here. 5-3 and overall. I chalk up that loss to the triple option because I love what they do in terms of run support. Only giving up 136 rushing yards on the ground. They're playing Virginia, who I was all over last week in Charlottesville. An emotional letdown because they had that ball game 25 to 24. Now they have to go to Wake. I think Wake becomes bowl eligible today with a solid home victory by 10 to 13 over the Cavaliers later today.
3: I agree. It's a big deal for a program like Wake Forest to get that sixth victory. They'll have the opportunity against Virginia. Listen, they wrap up the season with Louisville Clemson Boston College. If you want that sixth win, Coach Clawson, better get it today. Yeah, here's another one
2: before we go to break, and I'll just uh, I'll just say it. It's Vanderbilt or Auburn. We'll get Rich's take on the back end, but I think Vandy plays Auburn very tough. Auburn has Georgia on tap. It's the SEC's oldest rivalry. 116 years they've been playing that ball game. So keep that in mind. I like Vandy. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello. Keep it where it is. Fantasy Sports Radio Network.
0: You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation. Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi.
2: Live from the Big Apple Fantasy Sports Radio Network, continuing our coverage of the marquee SEC battle, Alabama and LSU. Alabama's won five of the last six by 13 points per game since 2011. We're live on the Progressive Celebrity Hotline with former Bulldog wide receiver Corey Allen. Corey, you were talking about Alabama and what they have to do offensively against LSU's defense. And, Lane Kiffin's success with Jalen Hurts.
1: Well, the main thing that I wanted to get across, Joe, is that Lane Kiffin does a great job preparing that team during the week for whatever you present defensively, especially if it's already been on film. So I think that 10-play script, once again, is going to be the main thing that helps not only uh, effectively put Alabama in the end zone early in the game, but it also does a great job setting up plays late in the game because of those formations and the motions that they do use. So I think it's a great opportunity for Lane to continue to uh, grow this offense under a freshman quarterback, and LSU is going to have to do a great job trying to stop that.
3: Corey, I know you've broken this down from every imaginable angle. Can you give us a, a prediction what you think will happen tonight?
1: I think this is going to be a tough one. You know, I really want to go LSU on this one because of Ed Orgeron and what they bring to the table. They have no fear on this game. But right now, Alabama's rolling good, Rick, and I think uh, I think this is going to be a roll-tied victory. I see the score. I see the score as a 28-17 toughly fought battle. Alabama comes out on top
2: shocker mr allen i know you for how long now (laughs) going on five years i mean come on i I, know i it's gonna be a great game but before you go there's another big battle in the sec the florida gators and arkansas razorbacks in fayetteville how do you see that game going out uh do the gators prevail or is it an upset in the making later today 330 in fayetteville
1: this will be a great game for Brett Bielema to really try to figure out what Arkansas is made of. This is a tough matchup. Raleigh Williams is going to have to be a great ball carrier for Arkansas in order for them to pull this victory out. Florida is stacked on defense, and right now uh, Del Rio, at quarterback, is not making any mistakes. I see the Gators coming out on top in a big way, uh, making sure their statement is felt because they got to get ready for this LSU matchup themselves, a, re- uh, a, 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 a game that they got to make up coming really
2: soon cory it's always a pleasure we're gonna have you on next week because it is the sec's oldest rivalry you know that rivalry very well georgia and auburn doesn't get better than that have a great weekend my friend
1: thanks fellas you all have a good one go dogs
2: and that's a perfect segue from former bulldog wide receiver cory allen florida and arkansas rich Before we get into that, I see this game playing out. Upset City, I do see Danny Etling attacking that secondary early on. I do think LSU gets the upset in Death Valley later tonight. And I'm calling for a high-scoring game. I think it's in the area 37. You ready for this? 37-33
3: LSU prevails. Only if touchdowns count for 12 points apiece tonight. <laughs> That's the only way I see that happening. It's funny. Corey said 28-17. I'm looking at, uh, at my notes. I have a 28-19 Alabama. I just think that they're built for this kind of a setting, Joe. The Baton Rouge, it doesn't matter. I don't like Danny Etling, a, a lumbering, stable quarterback in the pocket against Jonathan Allen in that defense. So I, I think Alabama remains undefeated. I think it would be exciting if LSU won. I, I think Alabama remains undefeated, though.
2: Well, here's the thing, I, I think... About LSU that you have to do and I'm talking to Tiger fans. I hope they're listening or Ed Ogeron. Listen to me. You have to make Alabama feel uncomfortable. I know they like to wear the crimson jerseys and LSU likes to wear the white jerseys at home. Switch it up. Break out the purple jerseys at home. Make Alabama wear the white. Make them feel like they're on the road. Death Valley is your house not Alabama's, and stick a hat on somebody tonight. I want to see Alabama Crimson Tide players on the ground. It's an SEC battle. Come on, LSU. That's what it's all about. That's all I have to say. A little
3: bit of a haberdashery advice <laughs> from uh, from Joe Lisi on the game. I love it. Getting psychological well, there, Dr. I mean, Floyd. Here's, the, here's the thing. If you're an LSU player, you
2: go to LSU for this type of game. I, I'm sorry. Yeah. You you come to LSU. You go to Alabama for this game tonight and no other. I mean, it doesn't get bigger than this. I mean, if you if you're not up for this game, I suggest you go to a Big Twelve
3: school like Oklahoma. They arm tackle really <laughs> well over there because wow. this that's game. Send, send that. Yeah, that that that's go for the two sooner fans. <laughs> well, I want but you to but send again, the, the but, mean tweets to Joe.
2: That's what the SEC is all about. I'm sorry,
3: it's a yeah. physicality on the defensive side of the ball that we don't see in every conference, top to bottom. Am I wrong about that? Uh, no, I think you'll get that tonight. Some of the names we haven't talked about, like Kendall Beckwith, uh, Jamal Adams, the safety, Arden Key, the defensive end, they clearly have the talent to keep pace with Alabama. I just think at the, the key position on the field quarterback, the difference between what you, Listen, in a, in a physical defensive game, Joe, you could neutralize the inability to pass the ball by scrambling, and that's what Jalen Hurts could do. I mean, he doesn't have to throw the ball too much to Calvin Ridley. He could make plays with his feet. Danny Etling doesn't have that that luxury, so I, I think LSU struggles to score this evening. Let's
2: turn our attention to the other battle. Florida and Arkansas, possible upset in the making. Austin Allen and the offense. They're, they're very inconsistent at times and a lot has to do with the rushing attack that's only averaging 160 rushing yards per game under Brett Bielma. They've been over 200 last year with Alex Collins that gave them balance. Now a lot of pressure on that offensive line that's missing three starters from a year ago. So it's a makeshift a new offensive line that's trying to find continuity. I still like the better defense in Florida that's only ho- allowing
3: 132 pass Yards, led by Jalen Tabor in that secondary. This is my SEC upset special. This is where I thought you were <laughs> going when you said upset special. I thought that you were going to go to Fayetteville. I, with love, this it, I love it. I love it. Yeah, I like Arkansas in a close game to beat Florida. Here's my reason why: We saw the worst of Arkansas two weeks ago. Joe, obviously, they got hammered. Defense was was a wall. Brett Bielema now has had two weeks uh, to rest, to recharge, to get his players ready. Made some defensive personnel changes. I'm not saying that they're going to pull Billy Ray Cyrus out at this point. I'm not saying they're going to bring (laughs) Billy Ray Smith out. I don't know what they're going to bring out, but there are going to be some changes. He shook things up on the defensive side of the ball. So I I think Austin Allen... Versus Luke Del Rio, edge Arkansas, obviously edge to the Florida defense. But on the road, I think the Gators struggle offensively. You'll see a better defense from Arkansas, 24-23 Hogs. You're looking for DeCorey Birmingham or Cedric Cobbs to come out, or even
2: (laughs) Barry Foster to break on the Razorback. I love when you do that to me. You go back in the time Uh, machine. That's me, retro. I'm a retro guy. You know. Here's the thing when I look at Florida overall. Everybody talks about their offense. They're averaging 29 points per game. In today's modern football, that seems like it's a low number because they're not averaging 45 points. And But they're a balanced offense. They're passing for 228 through the air and rushing for 170 yards per game. And here's the thing with Luke Del Rio, 30% conversions on third down. That's one of the best rates in college football, Rich. I like Florida because of that aspect and their third down defense on the defensive side of the ball,
3: 27% to opposing offenses they're holding hey florida's got an opportunity to get in the playoff mix they if they can win today on the road obviously they have baton rouge in a couple of weeks they still have florida state on the road three tough road games And then the SEC title game. Florida could be a sneaky, interesting team as we talk about, you know, sort of playoff uh, outliers at this point. Yeah, we're going to take a quick break.
2: When Rich and I come back, we're going to talk more about these games in the SEC. Keep it where it is. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, live from the Big Apple. Keep it where it is. College football is the best. Back on College Football Game Day, when Rich and I left off, we were talking about the Deep South's oldest rivalry. I said it was 116 games. I'm stuck from a few years ago. It is 119 total meetings, Georgia and Auburn. We'll talk about that game next week. But this battle with Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt 4-4 and overall, Rich. I don't think they win this ball game. But Auburn running the football very well, over 300 yards per game. I think it's a low-scoring game that Auburn picks up a 17-point
3: victory later today on the Plains. Uh, You summed it up perfectly as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I I like the Vanderbilt program. They're scrappy. They don't have enough offense, in my opinion, to compete with Auburn, especially as well as the Tigers are playing. But I really like Derek Mason's defense. Huge fan of what Zach Cunningham has done in not just uh, this year, but last year as well. He's a contender for National Defensive Player of the Wards. Uh, Could be the SEC Defensive Player of the Year. So Cunningham versus Petway is an interesting head-to-head battle. I do think it'll be low scoring. I have it Auburn 30, Vanderbilt 10. So I, I think Vandy does cover the points in this matchup. I just don't think they have enough offense to keep pace, uh, pace with the streaking Auburn team.
2: Great point, and you look at Vanderbilt's losses this year. They lost 13-6 to to Florida in Nashville, and they lost at the beginning of the year to South Carolina by three points, but it looks much better now that South Carolina is starting to tr- play much better and trend upward with Bentley, their quarterback, so not as bad as a loss as it looked at the start of the year, so I agree with you. I think they're going to have to run the football. They can't win a shootout, don't have the offensive weapons and I'm not sold on Kyle Shermer at the quarterback position to stretch Auburn secondary. So we'll see how it plays out a little bit later. I'm calling for an outright upset here. I mean, if you live in Vegas, play this game at some point. Georgia Southern outright over. Oh, I'm just not sold on Ole Miss. Lost five games. Ole Miss allowing 236 rushing yards on the ground. Georgia Southern triple option. I think they lose this ball game straight up. Ole Miss outright goes
3: down in Oxford later today. I'll take your advice on it. Obviously, I haven't been impressed by Ole Miss. Now, has not been a great year for Georgia Southern. I do follow Sun Belt Conference football. The defense of the Eagles has been soft this year. That could be a problem against Chad Kelly, but you do have the triple option, which is always tricky. So, I'll obviously keep
2: my eye on that one. Yeah, we have a couple other games to get to. Georgia, Kentucky, and we'll also get to the Oregon-USC game. Stay with us. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from the Big Apple Fantasy Sports Radio Network Studios. We're coming right back. Keep it where it is. You're listening
0: to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi.
2: Back on College Football Game Day, we're going to wait for three-time Super Bowl champ Roger Craig as we do that. Rich and I were talking Florida, Arkansas. I just think Florida's defense way too strong on the back end, led by Jalen Tabor, Rich. I I think this front seven will contain the rushing attack of Arkansas. And I do think that Florida, in the end, pulls away for a 14-point
3: victory over the Razorbacks in Fayetteville outstanding defense Joe obviously much better than Arkansas I just think that Brett Bielema he has these moments every year where his team sort of gets on a ride they have a resurgence I like the fact that he's had two weeks to regroup on defense shake things up he'll have some new starters I expect to see a revitalized hog team Austin Allen He's got some issues with his knee. That does concern me against that fast Florida defense, but I I expect to see an upset in Fayetteville. Yeah, we'll
2: see how that game plays out. 3.30 p.m. later today on CBS. Let's go to a Big Ten battle. I really like this matchup. Penn State with a a breakthrough victory two weeks ago over Ohio State. They followed that up with a a really solid road effort against Purdue, solid in the sense that they pulled away in the fourth quarter and won that ballgame by 38 points, put up 511 Total yards of offense. Barkley rushed for over 200 yards in that battle, and McSorley played very well. They now play a steady our uh, Iowa team that's coming off a bye week with an experienced quarterback and C.G. Bethard and a defense in the back end led by Desmond King that I think he'd give McSorley in that offense some issues in Happy Valley later tonight. I think this game is a lot closer than people think, and I like the Hawkeyes in the outright upset later tonight.
3: I'm largely with you. I'm going to go with Penn State. I think it's a very close last possession type of a game. I I think this spread is somewhere around a touchdown. It's a bit surprising for me because I think these are two similar teams. They both can run the ball both play scrappy defense. I expect the Hawkeyes to play solid in both areas. you got a couple of running backs who are, are capable of toting the rock, and Akram Wadley and LaShun Daniels. I think this is close uh, last-possession type game, but the momentum that Penn State has carries them to a seventh victory, Joe. I see it's 27-24 Lions. Here's the thing. I look at Iowa's defense
2: overall. I mean, they're plus seven in turnover margin. That game two weeks ago against Wisconsin, I thought they played very well. Uh, they didn't give up. A lot of big plays. At times they were burned in terms of pass coverage over the top by Hornabrook. But again, it was a bend but don't break type of defense until the game was out of hand when they missed about three field goals in that battle. So I think that that emotionally affected the defense overall. They're, I mean, they have 19 sacks on the year, and they, they're only giving up 18 points per game. And here's the thing about Ferentz that I like as a head coach. He's a solid game planner, so the extra week of preparation for me is a big deal in this battle. And again, I liked what they did in terms of offensive line continuity two weeks ago where they rushed for 365 yards on the ground against Purdue, and that's the weakness of Penn State's defensive front seven, giving up 183 yards on the ground this year.
3: Yeah, and I, I like the defensive personnel of Iowa, Joe. I know they've been a little bit up and down. They struggled against Northwestern, had some breakdowns against Purdue. But you look about, you look at Jaleel Johnson up front, Josie Jewell. Josie Jewell versus Saquon Barkley is one of the better head-to-head matchups that I'll see the entire weekend. So there's good defensive personnel, can run the ball. I just haven't been impressed by C.J. Beathard. It doesn't have the receivers. Matt Vandenberg has been out for a long period of time. So again, I, I expect it to be played in the 20s. I expect it to be close. So if you can get a touchdown in this matchup, I would take it. Yeah, so
2: I, I like Iowa in this game to win this game outright. But again, if Penn State somehow, someway finds a way to pull out this game, this is a team that's really starting yeah. to show strength at the end of the year. And James Franklin doing a very solid job after that blowout loss on the road in Ann Arbor. He's has this team focused. And this could be a team to make some noise in 2017 because of the carryover effect.
3: You're absolutely right. I think that's an excellent point. It, it takes a coach a couple of years, especially considering the problems that Penn State had off the field, problems with uh, scholarship reductions, so he he needed time. He's had that time. Penn State has been patient. Now they could be. They win tonight. You're looking at a 10 and two team potentially going into the postseason because they finish with Indiana, Rutgers, and Michigan State. Not a murderer's row in terms of November schedule, and that could provide them with a tremendous amount of momentum going into the bowl game and then 2017, as you said. We'll see how it plays
2: out at seven o'clock later tonight, or 7:30 start. Excuse me. That is on I. Believe leave ESPN later tonight, so check that out. Let's talk about the other Big Ten battle. It is Wisconsin and Northwestern. This is a toss-up game because, again, Wisconsin playing lights out. Another solid victory at home over Nebraska. 23-17 to last week in overtime. Northwestern oh so close. I-, I really feel that Pat Fitzgerald blew that game last week by going for the field goal. Sorry, I know there were about four minutes left. His defense was playing well, but when you have... the the football in in territory like that with an opportunity to tie the ball game even though it's fourth down you have to take it I think I, I mean he
3: I think he laid up in that ball game don't you don't you think that way yeah I I think you have to go for the jugular when you're on the road against a superior opponent And you're in their territory, and you have an opportunity, as you said, to tie that game. Big Pat Fitzgerald fan. Uh, I do agree with you. I think he was too conservative. That program is often very conservative, maybe because they have to because of the personnel that they have versus the rest of the Big Ten. But just to sort of segue into today's game, this is another... Uh, upset of a top 10 team that I'm predicting. I, I think this is a Northwestern win. They've played very well since the slow start. Wisconsin has been beaten up, Joe. They've played this spate of top 10 opponents, physical games week after week, emotional game. Last week, Dakota Dixon saves it against Nebraska. Now they go to Evanston against a talented Wildcat team that has the better quarterback in Clayton Thorson. I see this as a mild upset. Northwestern twenty-three, Wisconsin twenty-one. Do you have a fever? Did you check yourself today? I mean, <laughs> upset City by Rich
2: Sermonello here. Um, I, I my palms are a little sweaty. Something is uh, <laughs> something is happening here. We're switching roles here. We're switching yeah. roles. Here's the thing. I, I can see it, and, and this is the one game today that I have no feeling in terms of. I could see it going either way. I think the one thing when I look, about, look at Wisconsin overall, they're very solid in run support, only giving up 109 yards on the ground, and they're scoring defense 14 points per game, and they've been battle-tested. I look at this Northwestern team, and they allowed 310 rushing yards to Nebraska early part of the year, and this is the same type of offensive line in a heavy offensive line in Wisconsin that's going to try and pound them the same type of way. I don't think it's going to be pretty in terms of I don't think they're going to spread them out. I think it's just going to be a blue collar type of game and Northwestern has beaten Wisconsin now yeah. again. So that's the thing now in back-to-back years Wisconsin has lost to Northwestern two years in a row. They lost 13 to 7 last year on a I want to say controversial call in Camp Randall, 13 to 7 and 2 years ago with Melvin Gordon, they dropped that ball game 20 to 14 in Ryan Field. So I don't expect Wisconsin
3: Wisconsin. Wisconsin to be taking Northwestern lightly in this matchup. No, you bring up a very good point that I failed to touch on, which is the fact that Northwestern, or Pat Fitzgerald, has played Wisconsin very, very well. And I just like the trend of this team. They're also coming off an emotional loss, so they're going to have to bounce back after that Ohio State game. But coming back home, I th- there are individual talents there that have impressed me this year. I knew about Justin Jackson, didn't expect Clayton Thorson to, uh, to rise as quickly as he has as a sophomore. And Austin Carr, the slot receiver, former walk-on, has had a tremendous season for Northwestern. You have good defensive talent, which I think can contain one-dimensional Wisconsin. So to your point, I I think it will be a toss-up game. Could come down to the field goal kickers, uh, and that's why I have a 23-21. Yeah, we'll see how it plays out. I have Wisconsin winning this ballgame by
2: double digits. We'll see how it plays out later today. Just because I had to make a selection on this game, I like Wisconsin. I promise you we will get Roger Craigie on at some point today or another show next week I'll get him on I promise you I spoke to him this week same thing with Tony Parrish we have IOUs out to all the fans don't worry we're gonna take a quick break in a little bit when we come back we'll be talking about the big games still in the SEC later today and we'll be talking about the ACC games we'll We'll talk about Clemson as well because I like Clemson in this battle, Rich. When we come back on the back end, Clemson on Military Appreciation Day playing Syracuse. I don't think you'll see a letdown in Death Valley later today. Deshaun Watson and the crew, number two in the country. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Back on college football game day. We're going to go rapid fire now. We're about 17 minutes away from the start of the 12 o'clock games. Looking at all the games that we missed, uh, possibly for 12 o'clock. Rich, let's touch on this 3.30 game. Charlotte-Southern Miss, I, I don't like the way Southern Miss is playing. I like Charlotte with the points here. They're catching 19 and a half
3: later today. You know, I agree with your assessment about Southern Miss. They've gone a little bit backwards in Jay Hobson's first season. Nick Mullins, the quarterback, not playing as well as he did last year. Charlotte, if anybody has a chance to watch this team, Larry Ogunjobi, nose tackle, talking to NFL scouts who love the potential of this kid, and I think that's gradually what we'll start to see from Charlotte, the ability to attract better players for Brad Lambert. I'll take the points as well. Southern Miss wins closer than people think. Yeah,
2: here's an upset that I like. SMU playing very well, and they've rushed over the last three games for 156 rushing yards per game, seven touchdowns. That gives them offensive balance. They're playing a solid Memphis team, but I like what Chad Morris is doing, and they pick up their third straight victory. They're sitting at 4-4. Four and four, Upset City
3: plus three points. SMU over Memphis later today. Yeah, this is a team that won two games last year. They now have doubled that total at four and four, have an opportunity to play in the postseason. If Chad Morris can get the Mustangs to a December bowl game, any December bowl game, 15 practices that come with it, four additional quarters of football would be huge for what he's doing on the hilltop.
2: 12 o'clock game, Texas, Texas Tech. I mean, Tech won this ball game last year. I cannot figure out Texas at all. I'm going with the better quarterback here, Patrick Mahomes. I know Charlie Strong on the hot seat, but I still like uh, Texas Tech at home in Lubbock. They play much better at home, even though they picked up the road victory in Fort Worth. I like the Red Raiders
3: in the upset uh, in about 12 minutes. Well put, Joe. I completely agree with you. Better quarterback with Patrick Mahomes. I can't figure Texas out at this point. They're I, up, they're down, they're up, they're down. They'll be down this week. Yeah, I, I don't think Charlie Strong could figure it out. If he could, they, <laughs> exactly. would, put,
2: they would put two straight wins together because it's amazing. Yeah. Every other week, it's a different Texas team. Here's a, t- a game that scares me, and we'll, we'll get Rich's take on the back end. I'm not sure how much time we have. Armani Watts is possibly out for this game. I think Texas A&M wins. I just want them to win this game. It's a very difficult place to play in Starkville. It, it scares me a little bit. I think Texas A&M can roll, but... I would not suggest playing this in any way, shape, or form. We just want to see A&M pull out the victory. Joe Lisi, Ritz Sermonello, right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, coming right back. Keep it where it is. You're listening
0: to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts,
2: Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on the College Football Game Day show right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Last segment, Rich and I rapid fire on the remaining games. Let's talk about Texas A&M and Mississippi State. This game scares me in the fact that Armani Watts is out for this ball game. possibly. He's big in run support. I mean, I think Texas A&M rolls, but it still scares me because
3: Starkville, a very difficult place to play. You know, I always worry about I I, thank you, Mrs. Fitzsimmons from high school for my psychology teacher. I I tend to get into the minds of these players and these teams. Texas A&M right now. I I, you know, number four, how do they react? Are are they a little bit tight uh, or are they a little bit excited? They might have a, a playoff shot. I I think they play well against that Mississippi State defense. You look at the last couple of games, Joe, Bulldogs 40 points to uh, Kentucky, 41 points last week against FCF Samford. So I, I think Travion Williams, Trevor Knight, I think they roll against the Mississippi State defense.
2: Yeah, I have no opinion because I'm just rooting. I mean, this is my team, and when I pick a team and they're in a position, I back them just like I did Iowa last year. If fans don't know, go to the tape. I called it in August, Iowa in the Big Ten championship game, and they did it. I'm, I call for a and i A&M. I'm backing them all year until I'm wrong. Look for A&M to roll later today in Starkville. Let's talk about uh, one more game that we failed to mention. I'm just trying to check here. I got such a huge slate of games, Rich. Georgia-Kentucky. This is a game that I, I have a strong opinion about. Georgia's won six straight games Kentucky in a position sitting at number two in the east behind Florida. They're 4-2 and two in conference. If Florida loses today and, and Kentucky wins, they'd be tied. They'd still lose the head-to-head with Florida, mm-hmm. but Florida still has to play LSU in Baton yeah. Rouge. So uh, yeah. Kentucky fans are very excited. Here's the thing about Georgia. Very solid in run support, 109 rushing yards on the ground defensively. It's very hard to run on them. And I look at the flip side, Kentucky's rush defense giving up 196 yards on the ground, and they're limited in terms of what they can do offensively, only passing for 181 yards through the air. Kirby Smart will have this team up and ready. I've been off Georgia for much of the year. I'm back on them in this battle. They dominate this ball game by...
3: 13 to 17 points. I'm probably buying Kentucky too hard at this point because I I know they're going to disappoint me. This is a basketball school. They shouldn't be playing meaningful football in November. This is about John Calipari, but I like Kentucky. I I just think they're they're going to ride the wave. They're home. I think people are finally paying attention to what Mark Stoops is doing. Three straight wins. Yeah, it's going to be tougher to run the ball with Boom Williams and Benjamin Snell, but both are running really well. So I think just on emotion. And momentum, I think Kentucky pulls out a win and becomes bowl eligible. We'll see. I mean, you know, Mark, he needs this because he needs this. Uh, Take him off the hot seat. Joe, forget it. He wins this game. You don't talk about him uh, for the hot seat to at least – next fall, yeah, at least. Yeah, great point, and we'll see how it plays
2: out. You're on Kentucky. I like Georgia in this battle. Let's stick with a big battle, even though uh, from the Vegas angle, it's a big spread, but I like Clemson to dominate this game over Syracuse today. I've heard a lot of experts like uh, Phil Steele, he said look for a, an emotional letdown. They struggled last year. Uh, Clemson did it in the carrier dome by 10 points. Uh, they won that battle a- after the week of Florida State, but I look at it on the flip side. There's no margin for error anymore, especially when you saw Texas A&M jump Washington. And I look at the defense by Clemson. Again, they're only giving up 181 passing yards per game, 132 rushing yards on the ground. They're so solid in the back end. And Syracuse has offensive linemen out. I look for that front seven to dominate. And I look for Clemson to win this ball game by 35 points or more. One of my better picks today.
3: I'm going with my boy Phil Steele. I, I, uh, I have this game Yeah, uh, I 41-20. 40, okay. I'll take those near four touchdowns. I, I think Clemson rolls, but I do think there's a letdown factor. I mean, coming off Florida State, now you play Syracuse. I, th- I think Death Valley will be a little bit quieter than normal this afternoon. And Syracuse, maybe it's even a backdoor cover at this point, but Eric Dungy playing very well in Dino Baber's offense. Once we get to the second half, maybe this game – Joe was 41 to 13 backups are in for Clemson. Syracuse gets a late touchdown. I think they cover this game. Yeah, I don't see it. And, and Phil's been on the show. He's a great guy.
2: But I, I opened up the, the New York Post the other day and he's got a big article I'm, I'm saying he's probably looking at my picks over there and saying I'm fading <laughs> them. But you know what? I'm right on this one because I know Clemson will win. It's Military Appreciation Day. They're breaking out the purple uniforms today. So that's a great, great nice. atmosphere yeah. in Death Valley. Later today, 3.30 on ESPN. Here's an intriguing battle. I mean, Wyoming with a marquee breakthrough victory last week against Boise State. I mean, monumental. Biggest road, uh, biggest victory since 1992 when they had a wide receiver. Remember Marcus Harris from Wyoming. I mean, that's that's what we're talking about when you think of the, about the Cowboys. And, and there hasn't been this much uh, media coverage since they had Fennis Dembo as the basketball player there for Wyoming back in the day. I'm showing my age, but I like Wyoming to respond here, and I think they dominate this matchup over uh, Utah State uh, later today in Laramie.
3: Yeah, it's uncharted territory for Craig Bowl. I mean, it's one thing to be the hunter. Now they're the hunted at 6-2 and two against Utah State. I just haven't been impressed by this Aggie team, especially defensively. So I think Wyoming continues to roll behind Brian Hill on the ground, but I would not be the least bit surprised if they're a little bit sluggish in the first half of this game, Joe.
2: Well, if we did not get to a game today, please tweet us at go for the two. That's the number two at Rich Sermonello. That's C-I-R-M-I-N-I-E-L-L-O. You could always talk college football with us each and every Saturday, 10 to 12 p.m. Eastern time for all of our guests and Rich Sermonello. This is Joe Lisi. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the games this is what it's all about. College football is the best. Stay with us each and every week right here from the Big Apple. Fantasy Sports Radio Network. This is a great this is it. Have a great weekend everyone. Back on the College Football Game Day Show, right here, rapid fire. We have about four minutes before kickoff. Rich, I like Michigan State over Illinois. If they're going to not get back off the Schneid, it's got to be today. I'm not sold on Lovey Smith. Westlunt might not play. Michigan State, they're laying nine and a half. I think they win this game by seventeen.
3: Yeah, I mean Illinois is a mess right now. You start hearing from players that are saying the locker room is uh, is an issue. Uh, young kids versus the older players. Lovey Smith is not having a good first year in Champaign. There's even talk. That it might be his only year in Champaign. He might want to head back to the NFL. So I'll go with Michigan State as well.
2: Yeah, flip side, DJ Durkin used to be the defensive coordinator for Michigan last year and led that defense to top ranking in Ann Arbor. He's now the head coach of Maryland. They're getting 30.5 points. Uh, Again, I I think if anybody could game plan against Jim Harbaugh,
3: it is DJ Durkin. The Terps keep this game within the 30.5 today. I agree. I will take the points. It's one of my favorite picks of the day. For this reason, he not only knows the personnel, he's very close with Jim Harbaugh. I'm not saying that Jim Harbaugh is going to take it easy on Maryland, but once he gets up by three, four touchdowns, I think normally he puts his foot on an opponent's throat he likes Dirk, and I don't think he does that. I have a 42-13. to 13.
2: Yeah, here's another one that I, I just looked at. I mean, USC and Oregon, I'm tempted to take Oregon, but again, a finesse defense. And the way USC can run the football with their offensive line, I think they cover this number and dominate again. They seem to be on a roll, and again, I'm not sold on Oregon. I know they got the victory over Arizona State, but I look
3: for the Trojans to cover this number later tonight in the Coliseum. Co- yeah a couple of things I love this game by the way a couple of things to keep in mind number one this is a huge game for Washington Washington needs USC to be Texas A&M's Auburn obviously A&M has benefited by Auburn playing so well in the second half of the season that that win looks better Washington needs USC to win I think they will second thing Joe is I love the matchup of the young quarterbacks the future quarterback will be at the Coliseum today Justin Herbert of uh, of Oregon Sam Darnold of USC. I think it's a fun game to watch. Yeah,
2: let's just go who we like. We only have 30 seconds. I like Washington.
3: I like Washington State and Oregon State for the Pac-12 games. Uh, I'll take Cal, and I'll match you on the final two picks. I think Cal will score enough to keep it uh, modestly close. Yeah, if we did not get to a game, tweet us at Go for the Two
2: at Rich Sermonello. We're here every Saturday on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, 10 to 12 p.m. Eastern time. College football is the best. We love talking about it. Have a great weekend, everybody. For Rich Sermonello, this is Joe Lisi. Enjoy the games.